Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jerry Lynch from the Real Leadership Company, and this is Bare Naked Leaders. This morning I'm interviewing Diva Dar, who's the head of Remedy Kombucha New Zealand, um, who do some great, healthy, uh, tasty drinks. Uh, Diva is an Indian. He's come across, he's, he talks about uh, diversity from his point of view, going to Fiji and then New Zealand, uh, and also servant leadership. So a really inspiring guy. So let's uh, listen to Diva Dar. So good morning. We have uh, Diva Dar here, who's head of uh, Remedy Kombucha for New Zealand. And he'll be sharing a little bit about his journey in terms of leadership. So welcome, Diva. How are you? Uh, very good, thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for the opportunity. It's always good to interact. And I know you've had a few chats. It's good to be able to catch up on this forum, interestingly enough. Excellent. So, um, I mean, I love the, if you haven't tried the Remedy Kombucha, they're fantastic drinks. The lemon and ginger is my favorite. So it's just a bit, a bit of a plug for some of his products. Um, so, Diva, you are, you are Remedy Kombucha New Zealand. Um, so you know, I've known you some time. Tell me a little bit about your leadership journey and how you've got to where you've got to. Sure. Uh, definitely. Look, I obviously am in New Zealand for the last 30 years, but I was born and brought up in India and was very fortunate to be able to uh, get into a formal MBA program, which started my foundation in business um, and uh, was also um, very lucky to be picked up from campus interview by a by British American Tobacco as what they call their marketing pupils uh, at that point of time because I specialized in marketing and systems. Uh, and they called us marketing pupils for a reason because they said that uh, as a journey, as a, as a leader, um, you know, it's a learning experience. So you're forever pupils, <laughs> which was, uh, felt like going back into classroom. And surely that was, uh, that was exactly what happened because when we joined the company, our induction program now, good old days when time was not that uh, you know, fast, um, we had a seven-month induction program where we visited every aspect of the business from production to legal to marketing and systems, IT. We, were, we even went down to the fields of where tobacco was grown by British American Tobacco in India to understand. Uh, I can still say, uh, remember a few things like the Muller machine, which is from Germany, produces 10,000 sticks per minute and you know those kind of technicality was very important to understand as they grew a foundation so i think that uh, that led me to a great foundation in terms of learning about sales and distribution which is what really is the essence um, you know in in that sector um, and then went on with five years across uh, across uh, the country in india looking after different branches uh, my interesting tenure was in mumbai where I was uh, assistant brand, uh, branch manager. And I, I must say that it was a fast learning curve because I had a team of people who uh, reported to me were kind of, sort of double my age, I'm a young flunky graduate. <laughs> and I thought life was all about, you know, sitting in an air conditioning office now that I've had that big MBA stamp on my back and, uh, and giving orders and, 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 <laughs> and how wrong was I? You know, I'm <laughs> taking it very simplistically here. Uh, because the first task that was given to me was to take a pail of glue and a bunch of posters in my hand and go and plaster the streets of Mumbai and not come back till all the posters, the pail of posters were done. And at first I scratched my head around and, and then said, what is the method in this madness? 
But uh, when I came back uh, and had a debrief, he said, if you really don't know how long it takes to hit 100 posters across the streets, how are you going to guide your merchandisers down track to be mm. able to to be able to share with them your experience so really um, besides doing that was there was a, a tough way to learn but I think it was the right way to understand I think hands-on and uh, and so my induction program in Mumbai took me across all the facets of my of what what does it entitle a sales rep or van salesman getting out there and actually meeting the hawkers you know on foot to actually sell physically sell I think that kind of brings you down to earth and you very quickly realize that uh, you know um, life outside the classroom of an MBA classroom is quite different and these learning experiences have been really a good foundation for me mm. and a humbling one too yeah so very quickly I mean I've had a similar experience when I um, when I started in production I was in my early 20s looking after a team of 30 yeah. and same sort of thing as you having 50 year olds working for you uh, so how did you, you know, how did you build respect with those yeah. people? Yeah. Because obviously they're thinking this young upstart uh -huh. with an MBA is coming here, yeah. telling us what to do. You know, yeah. how did you build those relationships? Uh, the hard way, Gary, Jerry, had the hard way, um, because um, I think the biggest uh, breakthrough in terms of communication was actually a conflict. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, it, and how you manage that conflict, I suppose, was a lesson that I really learned quickly. I was trying to be helpful to the team in terms of getting point of sale organized to the different branches so that they could actually execute a launch that was coming up, which I was partly in charge of. Um, there was a delay in terms of the, the point of sale getting everywhere. So I actually picked up the point of sale physically in my car and, and bolted to the nearest uh, depot to actually distribute it. Now that was not my task. It was a task that was allocated to one of the reps who then turned up and found that the job had been done. And so that led to a massive conflict A, in terms of role responsibilities, delegation, and the hard talk about you know, letting people get on with their business than actually overcrowding them and doing it for them. And um, uh, so I did get a talking by the team, uh, my team, uh, over a very informal situation, but pretty stern. I can tell you what, Jerry, that night, as a young manager, the first time I could not sleep that night. It took me a couple of days before I went back and and sat across this guy who actually led this whole rebelli rebellion mm. and confronted the truth about the matter and actually owned up to what I thought was a perception versus the reality. And my perception was I was supporting the team, but the perception that they had was that actually I was overcrowding them, not letting mm. them do the task. So I think that as a young manager, uh, it was unnerving, but I think a very quick lesson to be learned, uh, which helped me later in life to be able to you know, take a step back and let people get on with the jobs and be there as a support to the team rather than doing the job for them. Mm. I, think, I think that's a, gr a really great point because a number of managers I've talked to or leaders I've talked to have had the same experience that you know, when you're in a position that you can do it faster than someone else, you want to do it. You want to get the job done. Yeah. As, as you said, you think you're supporting them. You think you're helping. Yeah. 
how they're feeling is this guy's coming and he's taking my job. He's doing what I should be doing. You know, he's he's not pleased with what I'm doing. So, yeah. so I think it is a great it's a great example and a great learning experience for people that you know, sometimes you can do it quicker yourself. Yeah, but it's not the right solution. You know, actually letting people get on it, let them make mistakes, let them learn, is always the best way. Uh, so oh. that's a great example. Couldn't agree more. And and I suppose I took that foundation and then. Uh, I was offered a role across to move across to Fiji as an expat, and that's how I landed up in this side of the globe. Uh, took on a role as a sales manager with a company called Tapus in in Fiji, leading the key account management uh, structure and putting up the whole sales structure across the route and in key accounts, and leading the team there, looking after the different brands that they have, like Cadbury, Pepsi, Steinlager, and a couple of other multinational brands that they looked after. Uh, and that actually was another experience, uh, which which probably was quite dichotomous to what I was used to. A smaller market, quite insulated. Everyone knows everyone, and the dynamics within the and managing the dynamics within the team. Uh, and I think um, a lesson to be learnt in diversity, really, in terms of letting people, uh, including people and actually having a diverse, not only in terms of just the male-female ratio within the team, because that was definitely there, but also diversity in thought process, but also allowing, allowing that diversity to actually, uh, encouraging that thought process to actually make some really good decisions, especially people who have already been there and, and have the experience to actually contribute their thought mm -hmm. process. And I think that was uh, definitely a learning experience, besides learning different languages as you yeah. do. And relating uh, uh, to that, there must have been a challenge. Um, I'll come on to the, the, the diversity because I think yeah. what you're saying is empowering people. Yes. You know, you're you're tapping into their experiences and the diversity of the thought in the room. But how was it to, you know, go from India, you know, Mumbai, which is yeah. I've never been there, but I can imagine it's a chaotic city and yeah. twenty million people, twenty million people, people, yeah, to Fiji, which is which is not yep. <laughs> eight hundred thousand, very laid back. <laughs> yeah. um, Again, that, yeah. you know, many people will have m made shifts either from one country to another or yeah. one town to another. How, how was that as a leader going somewhere new where you, you didn't know people yeah. in a different different industry? Yeah. You know, how was that and how did, yeah. you, how did you, again, build the connections? Sure, I think the biggest thing, and I, the word culture comes to mind, I think that working in Mumbai, which is fast-paced, uh, like any uh, cosmopolitan city, uh, 100 things to be done at the same time, Fiji's got just a slightly different laid back, laid back more in terms of the general atmosphere, but when it comes to working the same team dynamics applies. Mm. And I think, uh, I, I think setting a culture within the team because you're coming in as an expat from the outside. Uh, and, and the first thing I had to do was actually learn how this market works. Mm. Uh, and what are the, what are the key uh, dynamics within the market that I need to understand. And very quickly I realized that building relationships not only internally, um, importantly, but also externally was very important. So we're in Mumbai, it was more a commercial sort of relationship with your customers and everyone was getting on with getting on with what they were doing. In Fiji, you had to take a step back, assimilate in the culture of Fiji, which is really kind of uh, taking, taking it slightly a slower pace, but taking the time to actually understand your customers' needs uh, and also the needs of the team and then building the team so that they could then, you know, fulfill the needs of our external stakeholders like our customers. So I think that was, uh, you know, a key learning for me coming from a very fast-paced market and trying to be initially quite, you know, 
fast pace in my approaches, I think I've quickly realized no one's going anywhere very soon. <laughs> and this is a long-term game rather than a short-term game that I'm here for. And there's a task to be done, but there's a way to go around doing the task. So I think that was took a bit of took a, took a bit of a few speed bumps. Uh, dare I say, in those days, you could probably uh, air your views more openly to the team. Um, these days, it's a bit more PC, so you've got to watch what you say to your team. But I think that what it did encourage was quite frank, honest discussions between mm. the team and myself. And it's, I think, uh, the term vulnerability comes to mind because I had to literally get off my expat bandwagon and actually get out with the team to actually understand how it works and being s and saying, look, I don't know, and please tell me, you know. And I think it's a hard one because uh, you're trained a as, a, as a leader to lead the way, and those I'm talking going back 20, 25 years now, was a different management style that, that I came out of. I think it's about taking a step back and saying, how can I help you and how can I support you? And I think that, uh, I'll, come, I'll talk a little later about this, I think servant leadership comes to mind, and I think that um, it took me a while to to get to that point, but I'm glad I got to that point because it helped me with the challenges coming for going forward. Really, so uh, mm. yeah, quite culturally diverse. But um, can't say I didn't enjoy the expat lifestyle there. Mm. Uh, the outer islands are to die for, and if you ever need a recommendation <laughs> in Fiji, <laughs> you've got me there. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so th go going into uh, that vulnerability a bit more. So how, how did it feel for you at the time? You know, w saying I don't know, and, and you know, what what did that feel like as a leader? Very difficult, very, and I must say that because uh, you, you're, you're, you're sort of tasked to actually lead a team, mm. and I think that uh, you almost want to be invincible. Mm. And and yes, there are some qualities of being invincible, especially in, in when you're facing danger. The team looks at you for, uh, and if you're not calm and collected, uh, and when you're facing adversaries, that 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 sort of uh, reflects on the team, and biases their sort of reaction to to the situation. But I think. In a situation where it's a learning experience, I think uh, I found now on hindsight that though how difficult it was uh, culturally as well as uh, getting the market dynamics and the knowledge of what I didn't have, asking questions and, and opening myself up uh, really helped. But uh, uh, I'll give an example. I was, I was given a, I was given a t very early in the piece, given a task of forecasting. And of course, uh, and the aggressive style that I thought I would sort of, you know, kill all the budget numbers, <laughs> uh, I put, 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 I think, at a 15% growth in Cadbury chocolates. Now, I knew the brand was strong. I knew we had a good market share. And I thought, you know, let's uh, push that boundary. How wrong was I? <laughs> when I was sat down by the key account manager who I had uh, trained up uh, halfway through the year and said, Dave, this is a very... Uh, tropical market, Cadbury chocolates melt like no one's <laughs> business unless you have a fridge placement there. In Cad chocolates are sold in fridges through fridges because just of the humidity and the and the temperature there. Um, so, I think you have not only uh, overstretched the budget to fifteen percent, but I wish you had taken me into consideration in decision making process. Mm. I could have guided you with the historical knowledge that I had of the market, and. I had to literally put my hands up and say, I've made a mistake and, and uh, tell me more. And, and, and while it was hard to, to take that feedback, I think just me opening up and, and showing my vulnerability 
sort of cleared the air a bit and mm. I think it built a relationship and I ended up having a very good relationship where I needed to with my key account manager. Yeah. But I think it's the lessons that I learned from people in the team. So you talk about leaders, I think every person in the team is a leader in their own rights and they yeah. bring a certain leadership quality. Uh, and I pick it up every time I you know, take charge of a new team. And there are people within within the within the teams that you actually can draw qualities that are inspiring, and you have, and you start imbibing that. Not only do they uh, imbibe some of some of some of what you project, but I think um, yeah, that was a good lesson to learn. But um, so I'm not. I'm saying I'm 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 no more bullish about my forecast. And, <laughs> and at, at uh, Remedy, definitely we had some bullish targets, which we are which are very fortunate to achieve. But I think if I only knew what the market dynamics was and had included and, and not being uh, so impasse about about uh, my communication, I think I would have learned much more. Yeah. I, th I, th I think that's another great example. And it, I read something this week actually of um, about how President Obama mm -hmm. you know, tackled really tough issues. You know, and it, it's along the lines of what you said, getting the right people in the room. So that's your team. Uh, and then understanding their perspectives and getting all those perspectives on the table yeah. uh, uh, to understand a problem or, you know, in your case, yeah. a forecast. Yeah. It's getting all the knowledge out on the table yeah. and not trying to, I think young leaders have a need to, and it, and it comes probably back to ego, have a need to show that they're worthy. Um, and, and for them, I think it means I have to solve the problem. Yeah. And you know, I think what you learn through experience, which what you talk to yeah. is, you know, actually, you know, when the team wins, you all win. Yeah, you know, exactly. um, many times if you try and sh solve the problem yourself, actually you don't solve the problem. No, you don't. You yeah. make a mistake. So yeah. I think, you know, it's, that's a great example yeah. from you there in terms of you know, be being, being vulnerable, but uh, yeah. actually using the team to help, help yeah. you uh, get there. Yeah, actually that's a very valid point because, um, uh, and I'm sort of from Fiji, I came across to New Zealand uh, because there was an expat who worked before me, and he'd come for a holiday, and he said, six foot, ten inch guy who walked <laughs> in, and uh, on a holiday with his wife, and I uh, see this guy walking through the door, uh, and uh, quite intimidating. He says, "Who the hell are you?" And I looked at it without a band, without without even looking up. I said, "Who the hell are you?" And uh, and what are you doing at my, on my desk? Uh, at my desk? And I said, "What do you mean?" And then you know we kind of sort of hit it off uh, in that way. I knew Kiwis had a sense of humor, but it was quite quite direct. But and and, and, and he kind of liked that I retorted back to him. So he sort of instrumental in says, Deva, once you finish your contract, come on over to New Zealand. There's opportunities there. Uh, you're the right age, you know, sort of, you know, uh, and and got the, got a skill set which might sort of help organizations here. And that's how I landed up here in New Zealand. So that was Simon and 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 and, and uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, Gosh, 1996, and uh, so you calculate the years. A little bit more than me. Yeah, 24, uh, or if my calculations are right. Uh, so silver jubilee anniversary coming up of being a being a Kiwi, and uh, and I landed up over here, and I think that this was quite different in terms of the culture, the work ethics, um, just the just just how organisations operated them going back. And when you talk about diversity, I went to the NZFGC very early in the piece. And um, and I looked around the room, and I uh, don't mean to be, uh, I can say that because I'm an Indian, and, I'm, and brown is good. And I looked around there, and there were very few, uh, you know, people from different different ethnicities in the room. Mm. I'm going back now 20, 25 years now. And, uh, and I suddenly realized 
you know, it can be intimidating. Mm. But I think I've now I look around in an NFGC or NZFGC uh, function, and you can see the the not only in terms of what's projected out there into the thought, but also in terms of you know people from different different countries, different ethnicities, different experiences, which is so good for our industry mm. over here. And I and I've tried to cultivate that and encourage that uh, when I'm building teams because you can get a bit polarized in your choices and I think it's consciously understanding the needs of the business and then how you can actually uh, filter through the right people within your business. So uh, yeah, so um, some good lessons there in terms of um, you know how the industry operates. Mm -hmm. uh, I must say one of the very early lessons I was taught is they were, I walked into a buyer's room, I, I, can, I can quote her because I'm sure she wouldn't mind, there's a category manager sitting across the room and this is about communication because you know how important is communication um, just the funny side of it and i had this major presentation where i was you know with nestle and it was a 40 minute presentation with a few buts and ifs and questions and mary looked at me well yes and 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 she says deva that was wonderful but i didn't understand a word of what you said <laughs> <laughs> and then and then i leaned across this mary some of the questions you asked, I didn't understand a word of the questions you said, <laughs> and that really broke the ice. But it just tells you, I mean, I'm, it's, it's just a humorous side of it, but how important is communication and actually, mm. uh, you know, when you're, when you're operating within a business here where this diverse sort of uh, diversity of people, uh, understanding what their needs are and then being able to communicate that. I have got sharper in my communication since then, and I'm not sure Mary can vouch for that. But I think it's important to understand you know, these are some of the lessons you pick up on day-to-day -day basis that yeah. really sets you, uh, you know. And I, and I think linked to that is is actually the bravery sometimes to to say, look, I, I don't quite get that. I quite don't. I had an, even an instance this week where I was I sat through a presentation. It was a technical presentation, mm. uh, Salesforce, and he started going on about these computer you know technical mm. jargon yeah. and I said sorry I don't understand what yeah. you're talking yeah. about yeah. you know because I think sometimes you can sit in a room of people and just assume that everyone else gets it and you don't yeah and generally a lot of the time is everyone else doesn't get it yeah. including you yeah and it's actually it's a bit like the kid in the class who puts his hand up and says sir yeah. Or yeah. miss I don't quite understand that or ask the question and I think mm. I think as you talked about a little bit earlier asking questions is a, is a real leadership skill yeah. um, Getting clarification, you know, really getting clear on your point, yeah. and and uh, just making assumptions and assuming that you know everyone else understood. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'll try and figure out a way through. Is yeah. not the right approach usually. So. No, uh, true. I mean, uh, and uh, you know, Nestle is full of jargons, and you know, and like any multinationals mm. have their own set of, should I say, internal jargons, you know, yeah. and acronyms and and so on and so forth. Especially you, especially once you're past that initial induction period, and you're sitting in a meeting and. There's a presentation by the marketing director, and off goes the jargons, which you even haven't, haven't even heard in, in in your MBA days. And I'm sitting there thinking, if I put my hand up there, I could either, I could, maybe I'll, I'll look like a fool, you know, because everyone else knows about it. Hmm. And I think I let it go the first couple of times, but it was doing my head in in terms of, you know, and uh, and at the end of the day, uh, it was a it was a late presentation, and everyone was a bit tired, and and I sort of. And I didn't want to prolong the discussion any further, but I had to put my hand up and, and say, can you please, I didn't understand that, can you please explain it? It, it took a lot of courage. Mm. And uh, and uh, and then funnily enough, 
there were some you know some murmurs around the other side of the room and and you this other guy put his hand up saying thank god someone asked that question <laughs> so so maybe they were looking for someone to be yeah, the scapegoat yeah. or you know uh, it took a bit of courage and um, i don't know at all to be honest and and i think that leads to uh, one of the points that i wanted to uh, share with you today was about as a leader every the initial set of reaction is that um uh, the team's looking for answers from you that's so untrue yeah that is so untrue uh my natural instinct is actually is as a person to provide solutions you know so i i think it's a male sort of also yeah. you know i think ladies i'm being a bit biased over here are much better listeners than men men have a point to prove and i think that i was um i was on that front foot of trying to provide solutions whenever there was a problem on the table and two things it does as a leader and i think as a young leader uh i think these were some of the uh, as a loopholes that i fell into but it was a great learning experience a uh it actually doesn't uh doesn't facilitate diversity of options and solutions um to to actually evaluate secondly it stifles the contribution of the team mm. and i think that if you as a leader if you start putting the solutions on the table uh i think then you almost discourage your team members and you create a culture of sort of polarized culture where everyone's looking towards you for answers which is not mm. really the right way and what is the point of having a team but i think that and admitting that you don't know encourages uh the thought process and solutions which in the end cumulatively would have a much better outcome mm. than as a leader and i think that as a young leader i fell into that trap of trying to be solution oriented when i needed to be uh should i say question oriented to actually mm. get the diversity of of thought process to be resolved solution so yeah so hands up you know yeah. um and and i think um i think it's helped me downstream to be able to manage teams where there are much more complex uh topics uh, as you move into general management i think the operational expertise are best left to the operational uh, operational managers who actually bring a much better perspective much better technicality uh, and a much better solution which can be then 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 holistically approached from a different perspective mm. but i think um, yeah I've, i've i've definitely been guilty of that and i wish i was uh, more forthcoming uh, in terms of uh, understanding that was what was required so so hopefully you know if i was my younger self i i would probably try and cultivate that you know mm. um so look um so that, that was one of the questions i was going to ask you if, if you could go back 30 years to your younger self what advice would you give yeah. to yourself um so i think uh, i would couple of things i think um being authentic uh and it could be because i was trained through a management school and therefore taught the this the, the leadership qualities that you try and project that i think at the end of the day i think i would probably tell my younger self be who you are be authentic and be genuinely curious to learn it's a long journey in a corporate in a corporate world or any field you know i i think i think people forget that it's the long term that really matters and i think it's about telling my younger self you know slow down ask the questions keep learning and 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 be authentic uh and then the other thing that is really true is uh is being vulnerable i think you almost 
don't want to show your what you don't know but and it's the role johari's window i don't know what i don't know but that's understandable uh, but i think it's important to be able to be um, open to feedback mm. especially from your team uh, to be able to grow it shows a degree of vulnerability because team definitely looks forward to feedback from from you as a leader and mm. uh, to to help guide them and perform better but i think conversely getting that feedback and i'm not saying a formal session of feedback you know this this time and forum for it but i think on an ongoing basis i think is is subtly being able to get the feedback from the team in a very comfortable environment where you encourage it i think and these are some of the qualities i wish i had as a young leader mm. uh, i've developed that now and i think that life's a learning so i'm still learning mm. well i'm still not not there <laughs> and I never will be i'm sure till 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 we reach the ripe old age but i think these are some of the lessons that i probably give myself you know mm. a 20 year old you know yeah. trying to make the mark in a new country in in, in a very dynamic and fast growing industry uh, So yeah so so these are some of the lessons I've I've really learned and and uh, I must give you uh, share with you this uh, uh this, uh, this this occasion where I was actually this is when I was in Blackmore and there was a young I'm talking about listening there's a young lady who is absolutely a brilliant person uh in terms of marketing I won't name names because this is in the industry but a brilliant marketer uh and gosh you could you could put her out there and, and she would you know we would solve every every issue and you know we were a very strong performer and i was walking back to my desk and there was i thought i noticed there was a tear in the person's eye so hmm, never seen this person um uh, so vulnerable and so as a natural instinct uh, uh, can i have a quick word with you such a situation you know uh, and uh, and without even giving her the opportunity I assumed because we were going through some serious good launch and serious big launches that the work pressure was getting to her. Mm. So I so my natural instinct was how can I take care of her and I said listen uh, is there anything that I can do to help you with these new launches I know you've been working pretty hard and uh, and uh, and what can I do to support you yes so you know using those right cliched words and uh, and the response that i got was no i'm absolutely fine i couldn't break through and it kind of bugged me that i i didn't get through and i and i just wasn't feeling that i couldn't help the situation so anyway i meet her a couple of years down the track this is when she's moved on to another mm. organization and we sat down and we chatted just generally as you would meet an ex colleague i picked up that over during that period in her personal life she was going through some adversities mm-hmm. some health issues in her family etc etc now it clicked two mm. years down the track jury and i feel i feel like absolute fool i mean i can i can say that because that exa- that's exactly how i felt and i said all i needed to do this is just a learn lesson to myself was to ask her how i am and then stop yeah yeah so that's a fantastic insight and i think um yeah we make assumptions too often um and i yeah and and i think that's a brilliant example of you know a question that you just need people need to ask and i think one of the other things the, the other insight that you talk about there is silence so i i was on a coaching course recently and my my view is unless i'm asking great questions of the of my coachy or 
help guiding them or helping them. I'm not coaching. And the person who was running this course said, sometimes silence is your best you know, yeah. weapon, if yeah, you like. Yeah, yeah. So you can go through a whole coaching session and say yeah. nothing. Yeah. There's no real fancy question or great. But they will pull forth because you're giving them space. Yes. So, so I think it's, yeah. it's actually, again, going to what they need, not what you need. Because yeah. when you think, I've got to come up with great questions, you're thinking about yourself. Yeah. You're thinking, about, I've got to be a great coach. I've yeah. got to prove to, you know. And the answer is actually, I'm trying to help them. So you had the right um, instinct yeah. in terms of you wanted to help them. Yeah. You know, so that you, yeah. your, your motives were perfect. Yeah, sincere, yeah, yeah. And True, sincere. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but, but as you said, yeah. the, the assumption oh, was that this is How wrong what's causing it. Yeah, it's, I How think it's a brilliant example. And I think yeah, you bring a. It's about, I, um, I didn't sort of refer to it as per se listening, and I think that you just sort of uh, highlighted a word that is so important in today's world when we get bombarded by different media uh, and we are so cluttered, uh, and we are almost like, you know, we need to take time to be able to listen to whether it's your team or your colleague. And taking the time to listen uh, and mm -hmm. actually, yeah, that 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 vow of silence for till yeah. till you get a response. I know it's a great negotiation tool, uh, but I think that um, yeah, I think it's a great negotiation tool. Silence sometimes mm. is a great negotiation yep. tool. I've learned that <laughs> in a structured courses, <laughs> but I think silence uh, and letting letting the other person have space, I think, is a great example of what you talked about. And I think in this particular situation, yes. The learning was two years down the track, but oh boy, what a, what a great, great, great insight. Yeah, it's a great learning. I mean, I was very fortunate, I mean, in terms of teams, um, to be given, uh, you know, the uh, opportunity to formally learn about leadership. And uh, I think we talked last time around when I uh, was fortunate uh, to be sent to Harvard Business School for a, for a, a course in authentic leadership uh, program. Uh, it, was a, it was a great uh, program that was, that's conducted by the ex Imagine global managing director Medtronics, uh, Bill George, and he was very fortunate that he took that program. Uh, it's called Authentic Leadership Development, and I think it's about. Uh, and and I'm, can I just share with you? And this is probably being a bit more vulnerable than necessary, but I think that during that executive program, uh, I s there were sessions where I sat down, and I kid you not, this was here. I had tears rolling down my eyes because of realization of what a fool I've been in terms of a leader, what I thought was leadership and projecting yourself as a leader was quite biased uh, in one way. And it's it's learning the servant, the, the qualities of servant leadership, uh, learning, learning to be vulnerable, uh, learning to be, you know, service oriented, learning to uh, let the team lead, you know, rather than you trying to lead from the front. Uh, there were so many sessions that that I kind of sort of sat back and had that aha moment. Uh, and I think that yes, it's good that I was I had that experience, and I'm not saying that that's the only pathway towards learning. But I think one of the things I've learned was introspection. I, um, you know, you don't get these days time because it's such a fast-paced mm -hmm. world to take take time off even when you're on a holiday to actually voluntarily take yourself away and actually think about and introspect and and there were so many case studies that we did there which which illustrates some really really high powered leaders who actually lost their way uh, and lost the respect of the team just because they didn't introspect on 
what effect they've had on the situation, how they did as a team, and actually taking time to taking time to actually analyze the situation that they've they've handled, and how could they done 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 it better. Um, so um, so it was it was definitely that a major impact on me and as a leader. And today I'm a I, I would say I'm a bit more authentic in my approach. I mean, you know, not to be out there and and actually it's changed my perception of leadership and it's given me a probably a rounding in terms of uh, understanding what what it is that takes to be a better leader than i was mm. before so so while i've had these hard <laughs> lessons in in real life uh, i think uh, sometimes a, uh, sometimes a good sort of program does help you uh, not saying that is the that is the solution but i think you know it, it could be a, a structured uh, uh, structured program where you get to develop your skills a bit more uh, or even a structured feedback, which for sort of mm. helps really. Um, yeah, that's brilliant. Well, um, thank you, Diva. Oh, I think that's brilliant. You, you, you've shared some great vulnerability. You shared some fantastic stories, um, and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this with people. I think there's a lot people can learn from, you know, your servant leadership, um, some of the lessons you've learned along the way, but you know, your vulnerability and curiosity. So thank yeah. you very much. Thank you, mate. And I'll leave you with this last w word, which uh, I worked at Blackmore's, and Marcus Blackmore was still alive, uh, and and leads the company. He said something to me which I still uh, resonates with me. When you talk to people in your team, please tell them what they have done well. Mm. Don't stop. Never tell them what they haven't done because they know they have not not yeah. done it. Yeah. And it's just about they having that mindset. And I take that with me every day. He's still seventy-five plus. And has that same attitude, and and it's. Uh, I just leave you with that, you know. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's great advice. So Thank you very much. Thank you, Diva. Thanks a lot. Yeah, always a pleasure. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, mate. So that was Diva Dar. So what a, a great interview with him there. And my takeouts. Uh, there was a number I, I took out from that. There was. Um, I think the don't assume, which you know, we're always taught. Uh, so a lovely story where you know he's he picked up on someone's uh, um, emotions, but made an assumption as to w what caused that emotion. So, so I think that was that was a lovely story. I think also what comes through strongly with Diva is his servant leadership, which I think is a is a real mark of a great leader. It's you know what can I do for others as opposed to what can I do for myself. Um, and I think the other thing I picked up was around introspection. Actually taking time to really listen to your, what's going on in your world and review and, and you know, what's working, what's not. You know, taking the time to learn for yourself so that you can grow. So um, I think the other one was about empowering his team, uh, which came through and again linked to servant leadership. Um, and also diversity, so you know, Diva being uh, an Indian coming you know, into Fiji, very different culture, and then New Zealand, very different culture. And how he talks about diversity as diversity of thought, not just the uh, male-female balance. So that's Diva Dar, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I'm Jerry Lynch, um, so if you ever want some help around strategy or around uh, culture, then look out for me. My website is www.realleadershipnz.co.nz or you can email me, um, jerry at realleadershipnz.co.nz. If you've got any feedback, then please provide it. Anyone that you'd like me to interview, then again, uh, let me know. So thanks, have a great day and 
be your authentic self. So good afternoon to, I've got Shane and Selmy here from Overland Shoes who, uh, who built the business and built a very successful business and I've uh, bumped into Shane many times at the uh, best workplaces. Um, if Mars didn't win it then Overland usually won it so uh, we were rivals in that sense uh, for, for many years. I've really, really um, loved talking to uh, Shane over the years, a really engaging, authentic leader. So, uh, so welcome Shane. Thank you. Thanks. Jerry, it's a, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be here and talking to you. That's great. So, so one thing I'd, I'd love to hear, and um, you know, you've built a really successful business in New Zealand and you know, overseas. Um, I'd love to hear your journey about you know, how you started mm. um, in the business and what struggles you've had along the way. Sure. Um, probably if I go, go back, um, I'm the, uh, the son of a quite a successful entrepreneur who um, was the son of an Italian immigrant. So I'll start with the, the Anselmi family. Um, my grandfather, amazing old, old guy, he was born in 1895, died in 1996, so he was 101 years wow. old when, when he, he finally passed. Travelled the world, he had to leave Italy with his brothers. Uh, his father was a, a bit of a, uh, a, a gambler and lost the family farm. So he, my grandfather ended up in England, then out in Australia, married an Australian wife, and ultimately ended up in New Zealand and became a very successful farmer. We, he, he had six, six children, and my dad was the uh, second to youngest of those six children. Um, as I was saying, very successful, and um, the family got into shoes quite by accident. Um, my grandfather, again, doing pretty well. He lent a guy in the King Country, where they settled, uh, some money to buy three, open three shoe stores. This is back in the 40s. Mm. Um, and ultimately, these, this guy couldn't pay him back. So my grandfather inherited King Country shoes in Otronga, King Country shoes in Tikwiri in, in Tamanui. Okay. Uh, and each one of the six children uh, had a go, uh, if they weren't working on the farm, um, each one of them had a go at running those stores. My dad being second to youngest, when it was his turn, uh, turn he f decided he really didn't want to work for his old man on the farm. He was a hell of a taskmaster. Uh, loved the footwear industry, so my dad ended up um, ultimately buying those three shoe small shoe stores off his father, my, my grandfather, um, and that's how the family got into shoes and, and my father got into shoes. Um, dad, we, we, I was born in Tikawiri, uh, one of five children, so, uh, and that's where we were based. Uh, my dad had the, uh, the shoe store in Tikawiri. He opened some discount shoe stores, uh, this was back in the 70s and 80s, called Shoe Town. Um, it was one of the first discount models, he, as well as a factory that he opened in, in Tikawiri called Fabia. So this uh, sort of small two or three shoe stores grew to, um, I think, seven or eight discount stores, uh, a reasonably big factory. Um, and, uh, you know, me uh, sort of growing up with these five siblings, seeing quite a successful father, uh, it really made me quite interested in um, in, in business, but my journey to start with, uh, I loved being out on the f my, f my uncle's farm. So all the, uh, all the rest of the family were farmers, uh, the other three brothers, and I just loved spending my holidays out there. So off the back of that, I ended up going to Massey, doing an agriculture deg degree. I uh, really wanted to you know, have that lifestyle. 
two, two years into that degree, I kind of uh, got a bit disillusioned with uh, agriculture and I realised everything seemed to be out of your control. Uh, you're at the mercy of commodity prices, the weather and exchange rates. So, mm. um, the entrepreneurial spirit really started calling and uh, that's when I decided, I, just like my dad, I really wanted to be an entrepreneur. So um, I borrowed some old unused machinery that my dad had in his warehouse antiquity and opened my own small plant making sheepskin footwear uh, down in a little factory down, down in Palmerston North. Mm. Uh, I think I was 19 or 20 at that stage, set myself a goal to be, and it was all about you know, goals for me, set myself to, a goal to be worth a certain amount of money by the time I was 25, and just started working like hell to achieve that. Um, and so I grew this small manufacturing business to 60 odd, odd people, uh, opened four stores myself. In fact, I was in competition to my father for a while, so I wasn't allowed in his factory uh, because his competitors, his customers really didn't like, saw me as a competitor. Um, not being content with that, I um, developed an industrial park, so I got into property development, development and also opened two restaurants with partners. Uh, and all, all this at a sort of quite a young age with a lot of energy and sort of a fair bit of chutzpah, but um, uh, uh, in sort of marketing now, but, uh, and a fair amount of debt as well. Uh, ultimately what happened uh, in the 87 share market crash uh, happened. Uh, I ended up losing the biggest tenant in the industrial park. Um, business sort of caved in a little bit and I uh, end up losing all of the businesses that, that, that I had. Um, my wife-to-be, who I'd met at that stage, she was pregnant and had to sell my house and uh, move in with my in-laws. Uh, so that was very, very sobering at the age of 25. But I look back on those years and think this is probably one of the best things that could have happened to me. I, I had wisdom beyond my years. I'd done things most people my age hadn't done um, and set myself a a goal that if I get involved, and I was determined to get involved in business going forward, it would be built on a foundation of uh, good process and uh, and a real focus on people. And, right. uh, and so, what brought you to that realization? Probably having fallen flat on my on my face, and you know, setting goals and believing I could achieve them without investing the foundations that I needed to. Right. You know, rebuilding really good processes and the various organisations that I had, and really focusing on people. It, yeah. you know, it, was, it was kind of much more, uh, I guess, just a, a raw sort of energy and, uh, uh, and based on you know, simple marketing ideas rather than building that foundation. So yeah. it was good. Um, at that stage, my dad's eight or nine uh, discount footwear businesses, they'd been run by someone external. He was equity based at the factory and these businesses, uh, sorry, stores were mainly in Auckland. They weren't going very terribly well. He asked me if I could get involved in in that business. So I moved my then young family to Auckland, uh, this was in 88. Went for a quick trip to the States looking for ideas and came back uh, having seen quite a few uh, concepts over there with the realisation that trying to sell discount shoes out of high rent malls wasn't going to work and that's when I uh, came up with the Overland, Overland concept and we opened our first Overland uh, footwear store in 277 in 1990 um, and we've grown it ever since so I think it might have been a three or four million dollar business when I got involved back in 88 
Um, and it seemed like we sort of doubled in size every every five or six years. So we're growing it uh, from uh, 4 million to 8 million to 16 to 32, then uh, more recently over, over 64 million. And, um, and, and again, it was just a, a journey overland. The, the concept worked well. We closed the shoe towns down, opened more overland stores. Um, and everything seemed to be going on quite a, quite a good path. Um, and you know, it's really interesting with business. You have growth and then the wheels tend, seem to fall off and you, you consolidate and uh, uh, do more things and uh, keep growing and then the wheels seem to fall off. And this is, you know, I'm a big believer in that S-curve in life mm. and, and in business. And you know, the typical S-curve is you come up with an idea or uh, the idea seems to, seems to work. You, you generally grow a little bit, bring people along and, uh, and you go through a growth stage and then there's a bit of a maturity stage and unless you, at that stage, you change, uh, reinvest ideas and innovation and try things and bring new people on board, uh, the ultimate part of the S-curve is you start going down the other side and so many businesses are like that. Mm. And you know, I look at our journey over the years and we've gone through this S-curve quite a few times, you know, five or six years and even, even more recently. So it was 97, I think, um, we're uh, at least double, uh, we might have been 10 or $12 million business. Things, the Asian crisis happened, uh, uh, things started going down and, and I looked around the world, um, remembered my vow, really good processes, good people. Um, we've got a great training system out of the States, put that in place. Uh, invested in more senior people uh, and the business carried on growing again. Um, but probably a, a real turning point for me came in 2003 um, with regarding the business we are now and especially our focus on people and engaging people. And in 2003, uh, my bank at that stage, the BNZ, recommended that um, I uh, do a, a course called uh, Ice House, um, the owner manager course at the Ice House. And the Ice House is an offshoot of the Auckland um, Business School at the, Auckland, at the university there. Um, and going along to this course, it was over uh, five months, uh, three days a week, uh, every five months. I joined, I joined 20 other business, business owners. Um, and lots of sort of people came through giving us their thoughts on the best way to run business and I could tick lots of boxes. We, uh, we had a, a really uh, good governance, we had um, a real results orientated um, focused selling system, we had a board, we had uh, you know, pretty good systems in place. But one guy really intrigued me, uh, sort of a guy who came uh, through and uh, he was an a a HR specialist. And up until that stage, I you know, often thought HR was just sort of soft, fluffy stuff. I thought it was more about process. But um, he talked about taking a health check on your organization um, using 360s. Um, and I was quite intrigued by that. We didn't have HR at that stage. I employed the guy just to do a project, do some 360s. And uh, um, we were about a quarter of the size we are now. Uh, and what came back kind of disturbed me a little bit. While they, our people love the energy in, in, in the place, um, there wasn't uh, a huge amount of joy um, in some, some sort of areas. So off the back of that, 
um, I decided, okay, I need a very good HR manager. Um, uh, started searching and employed an extraordinary uh, North American woman, uh, uh, Michelle, Michelle Stonehouse. And Michelle came and joined us. So this is probably 2004. Um, and the first thing that she did when she uh, joined me was talk to me about business and about people and, and said the most important thing we need to do is try and um, find our values, identify values, and the best way to do it is talk to our people. What, what do you think uh, you know, value should be? She explained to me that values in a business are all about how we treat each other and how we treat our customers, so the, the behaviours that, that you want. So we kind of worked through that, sent out, you know, identified 40 to 50 odd uh, values, behaviours that we wanted, asked our people to come back and we netted it down to the six that we have now. Um, uh, and these six have been with us. Well, there, there was one change, but they've been with us uh, just just all, all, uh, over the years. Um, but what we did, and I think this focus on values was really the start of our journey in becoming a best a best workplace. Um, um, but what we did back then uh, was quite unlike what most other organisations do. So many organisations will come up with their values put the list on a wall, stick them in a drawer somewhere, somewhere and probably forget about them. And what we do is we resource uh, every week um, uh, celebrating our values and we ask everyone in the business, we've done it for the last 16 years, to nominate a peer um, if you see your, your workmate demonstrating a value. So Jerry, if you and I were in a store and uh, you decided to drop a pair of shoes off to a customer on your way home. They might have been, uh, you know, in the general mm. direction. I might nominate Jerry for proactivity. It's one of our values. And write in a sentence or two just what you did. Mm. Um, and we collect these nominations uh, every week. They go into our eight, 10 to 12 page newsletter. And in that newsletter, you know, all sorts of results. Uh, but. Believe it or not, we get between 100 to 130 values nominations each each and every week. Wow. Uh, these great. Great, great little stories, um, and uh, you know, just living the values like that and celebrating people who are doing that—that's really brought that whole, I guess, focus on values and looking after your peers, uh, behaving in a certain way. That's you know, part of our language now. Gosh, that was so accountable of you. Thank you. Or thanks for being inclusive. Um, you're showing amazing int integrity there, and you know inspiration is one of our values. So, um, and you know these words are just part of the language mm. that we use use here. Now. So m many companies do the employee of the month, but mm. they, you know, some of the criticisms I've heard of they the leadership choose the person sure. and they don't really know the person yes. and they make yeah. wrong choices. So people feel, you know, not recognised or you know, not appreciated because yes. a they don't. They don't, re as you said, there. You you know every you wrote know every nomination. Yes, sure. And they were published too. Yeah. Have seen whereas yeah. companies just note the winner. So the yeah. people who are actually nominated yeah. don't actually get mentioned. Sure. So, yeah. and I think you know it's part of part of the appreciation is actually just to be nominated is, yes. yeah. is recognition. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, great. So. And 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 the wonderful thing, right from starting that process, as I was saying, we've been either a finalist or. Um, have one or second or third in the uh, what was you know the, the best workplace competition uh, e ever since. So it was either Conexa 
and then IBM Best Workplaces or even more recently EX18 and EX19. Yeah, we won, won both of those, we've won New Zealand's Best Workplace three or four times and we've been a finalist for you know, every mm. one of those years. So. Yeah, mm. no, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, and it's lovely to hear the journey. Mm. There's a lot of similarities. My, my parents were from farms in Ireland yes. and, um, you know, um, it was obviously my dad took a diff different direction, went to went to England, but um, sure. but it's, uh, it's it's really interesting coming from those roots. But when yeah. when you when you look back and you, you you look back at some maybe when you were younger and doubts you'd mm. had sure. uh, as a young leader, what what were some of those things going through your you, your body, I suppose, yeah, not through your mind, but yeah, um, I, I guess all sorts of things. Uh, certainly, you know that. Um, Again, being full of confidence as a, as a young young guy, deciding okay, they want to be a farmer and getting into business and lots of energy. But you know, there were there were stuff ups and failures, and ultimately that that you know big failure where I lost lost everything. Uh, I think uh, the the learnings are I've always uh, I guess filled my mind up with uh, I guess biographies and um, of people who have been successful and. Uh, you know, the common theme is uh, you've got to fail, fail your way to succeed. And uh, the more that you fall flat on your face, so long as you, you don't try not to make the same mistake twice, they're all important lessons in that journey that, that, that were wrong. Um, and, you know, that was probably a big one. But as I was saying, you know, we've, that S-curve is very much alive and uh, failure is just one of the great, one of the gifts, the greatest gifts in life because it tells you that what, you're putting out is not working at the moment, so it's a you know sure sign and signal that you need to change course and, and try something new. And something we talk about a lot here with our people, and, and, yeah. and talk about a lot with uh, um, uh, senior senior leadership. Yes, certainly all of our people. Yeah. Something that we do a lot here is we have quarterly leadership conferences, and you know with the sixty odd, or fifty five to sixty um, profit centres we've got, which are you know all of our our stores. Um, we fly everyone together, well not so much recently, but uh, we have quarterly leadership conferences and that's always over two days. And, um, you know, I just love spending time with our, our leaders and talking about, I guess, the journey they're on, but the philosophy, you know, this philosophy that, um, and the big philosophy, I, you know, I believe that you know, life is not easy. easy. Um, um, I'm a big, 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 big believer in story and the power of story. Um, Big believer in emotional connection. Uh, mm. People make buying decisions based on emotion, and one of the best ways to uh, be successful is get an emotional connection with your customers and also with with your people. Mm. And one of the best best ways to get emotional connection is through story and, and, and mm. the power of story. Um, and you know, we started this talk with me me telling you my my story and uh, and um, it's something that we we use a lot and. If you look at story, uh, we all love you know great books or those those movies. Mm. Uh, there's certain factors uh, present in, in, in story, and you know I've studied it more than, studied it more than most, I think. And we love story because it's hardwired in us. If you go back ten, twenty thousand years, um, um, before the written word, uh, and uh, say. Out, out in the wilderness somewhere and grandpa ate berries from a bush o over there and died. So suddenly a sto story is told uh, about you know, berries from that bush, you know, this is what happened to grand grandpa or great grandpa and, and so that 
that mythology, you know, those stories go down. And, and any time we're hearing a story, uh, it's, uh, our ears prick up. Uh, but the story is only interesting um, if certain things are, are, are present and generally it's got to be about a character, a person, time and a place. There's absolutely got to be challenge, difficulties, mm. things to overcome, uh, turning point and, 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 and a resolution. And so if you ever sort of see a movie where there's no conflict or challenge or read a book, it's just not at all interesting. So, mm. um, but, um, and uh, Joseph Campbell, um, you know, amazing, amazing guy. Um, he's studied the hero's journey. He sort of brought the hero's journey, journey, um, you know, brought it to the world. Um, you go back to the, you know, the great directors, George Lucas, before he penned Star Wars, he spent time with Joseph Campbell and, and really studied the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is all about an unlikely character, an unlikely sort of person called to do something that they're probably not comfortable to do, but they end up taking this journey and they come across you know, difficulties, challenges, conflict. Um, ultimately, after lots of battles, there's a turning point in, in, in resolution. And you know, I tell my kids, I tell our people that this is what life is like and believe you're living your own hero's journey. So you know, I certainly do that and I tell everyone I, I, I get a chance to have this conversation with. If you believe you're living your own hero's journey, you are the hero in your own movie. Um, it allows you to suck up the difficulties and the challenges and the, and, and, and the tough stuff. Um, and as you do that, you learn, you adjust course, you get more resilient, more capable, and um, and, and, and you grow. And growth is is, is all about uh, you know embracing the difficulty in life, embracing the challenges. So the more that we do that, the more you know, the more the, the more joy ultimately that we end up in life, the more successful we are. Yeah, I totally, um, I can relate to that. I, um, I put my leadership team through a storytelling course, uh, something that Mars, Mars did yes. globally. And one of the exercises we had to do, um, which I got everyone to do in front of all of the staff, was tell people their oh shit moment, mm, sure. which was a mistake they'd made in their career. Yes. And it was yeah. great. It was an interesting way to do it. And, and it, as you say, when you hear that from a leader, you hear their story yes. and you hear where they'd made a mistake yeah. and what they'd learned from that. Yeah. It, what it did, did a couple of things. One, it, it brought leaders down to, you know, to be accessible to people because yes. they, they, so they sometimes put you on a pedestal to yeah. say, they don't see your mistakes. Yeah, they just yeah, see yeah. that you've got to this high position and I can't do that. Mm. Whereas what this did is that it said, oh, they, mm. they do the same thing I do. They, yes. they make the same mistakes so, so I can be like them. Sure. So it was, it was a good way of actually practicing storytelling yes. and also showing vulnerability as well to, Fantastic. to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I was going to say, I'm a, you know, into that, um, I'm such a, um, a, a huge bibliophile, you know, I was reading and uh, one of the you know, be beautiful books I came across was written by a guy called Marshall Goldsmith, uh, which is uh, What Got You Here Won't Get uh -huh. You There, um, and boards all around the world um, bring in Marshall Goldsmith to sort out rogue CEOs and, and so on and um, Marshall was saying every leader or every person in the world there's up to 20 faults we all have and uh, in general you know there's four or five things that we do uh, that we uh, sort of tend to do over and over and the best thing a leader can do is understand what their faults are and mm. share that with everyone and yeah. you know mine are um, uh, 
the, the, the need to be right, well, sorry, has been in the past, I'm very conscious of it, you know, that need, that need to be right. Um, adding too much value, you know, if I get into a meeting, I've been around a long time, um, sitting around with a lot of, often, young, you know, a lot of young leaders, I just need to learn to shut the hell up <laughs> at times and let them, you know, come up with solutions and focus on things, be, uh, uh, you know, because often I'll know the answer, but it doesn't help people grow if, if mm. you do that. Another one for me is not listening, you know, we'll see the world a certain way and, uh, you know, I certainly have my view, my, my frame or my lens of the world and Probably another one that I'm very conscious of is the need to justify my quirks, or that's number, <laughs> number 20. And for me, that comes out in often being late. And you know, I justify being late for meetings or whatever. And that you know, I can just get one more thing done before I leave. Mm. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, if you're late for a, a meeting or, or a commitment, you're disrespecting the other people. You're wasting their time, and so there's just no excuse. So, yeah. the more that you share those things, okay, guys, here's the 20. I do it with my senior leaders team. Here's the 20 things. These are the three or four things I do. Help me stop them, and I'm, I'll try and be conscious of it. You know, that's really showing a lot of vulnerability, and mm. people, people appreciate that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, there's not many leaders that do that because no. yeah. I think a lot of leaders are driven by ego and they want to mm. cover up those things. Sure. They, you know, they want to look good. Um, you know, I, I, there's a number of things there that you know, I'm, I'm like you. I, yes. I, I think, oh, I've just, uh, it takes me half an hour to get there on Google Maps, so yes, yeah. I can leave it, uh, you know, 29 minutes past and, yes, yeah. and not take account of the fact that oh, Google Maps isn't yeah, always yeah, right, yeah. you know, and um, That's right. it takes me five minutes to get to the door, you know. But, um, you know, I think the showing vulnerability, I think, is, t to me, is one of the differentiators in a really mm. good leader, mm. to yeah. versus an average leader. Mm. You talked about some of the biographies you've read and mm. the people. Uh, who, along your journey, was an inspirational leader to you? Um, probably, uh, and you know, I have so many, so many books that I continually, continually go back to. More recently, um, I'm such a fan of, of Ray, Ray Dalio, uh, um, and he's written a book called Principles. Um, and uh, Ray is the founder of uh, uh, the biggest hedge fund in the world, uh, Bridge, Bridgewater. And he has created a culture in Bridgewater uh, called a DDO, being a de deliberately developmental organisation. And it's something we pri try and pride ourselves on doing as well. And if you work for a DDO, it's all about growing. So you expect it to grow if you, w if you work for a deliberately developmental organisation. And, you know, as we meant, I just mentioned, our main growth in life comes when we open, our, open ourselves up to difficulties, often tough to take feedback, you know, feedback that's tough to take and so on, so that's, that's part of it. And Ray has, he's just an extraordinary guy. He's written a book called uh, Principles, and these about the principles that he uses in this organisation. Uh, and it's really about growing, being open to feedback, learning how to have, um, how to uh, be comfortable with conflict. Um, certainly no place for ego in any sort of organisation. Um, mm. And you know that that's a big one for me. If I go go back, um, a book that really transformed our business and the way I think is uh, by a guy called Richard Koch, K-O-C-H, called the eighty twenty principle. Um, and the eighty twenty principle says that twenty percent of anything will give you eighty percent of, of of a result. And you know, for us, twenty percent of the styles we put out in our stores 
will give us 80% of our turnover. Uh, mm. but the trouble is we don't know which 20% it, it is. Um, the 80-20 principle, 20% uh, of our stores will give us 80% of our, our profit, 20% of our suppliers will you know, provide us with product that gives us 80%. And that principle holds true right, you know, look, I'm looking down the carpet, we're sitting on 20% of this carpet gets 80% uh, of the wear. Mm. You think in your wardrobe, 20% of your wardrobe gets 80% of the wear, then this mm. principle just holds true again and again mm. and again. Mm. And if you apply that and very are very conscious of that 20% that you're getting results from, you can double up and, and grow that area in your life. And, mm. and, and therefore, you know, okay, another 20%, let's try and make that 40% and get 160% of the re results we used to get. So mm. that's a, it's been a, a really profound one for me. Um, and that sounds similar you know, in terms of priority. So yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're focusing on you're making choices essentially. Yeah. You know? it, it is all about priorities. Yeah. 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 So what are the, the big things? One of the most precious resources we have in life is is uh, is, is time. So yeah. We do those high value activities. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And so um, tell me about if if you could go back mm. to your twenties. Sure. Yeah. And give yourself some advice. Give your younger mm. self some advice. What would it What would it be? Probably the, the big thing for me, um, and you know, I talk about uh, Ray, da Ray Dalio, and you mentioned it before, ego. Um, I think ego is one of the most dangerous um, uh, thing, th thing, things in the world, and um, ego has created more misery and suffering in the world than anything else. I mean, you know, you go back to look at all the, throughout the 20th century, the, the, the autocrats, or, uh, autocratic leaders uh, with big egos from Marx to Lenin to Hitler to Pol Pot. Um, Trump. Tr yeah, just, it, you know, look, I agree, it just goes on and on. And egotistical auto autocrats, um, they just won't be told it's their, their way. Uh, and so much misery and death yeah. has been created from it. And so going back to me, if more than anything, uh, drop the ego, you know, f f don't be, be egotistical. Um, the, you know, the gifts in life are, are, are to be curious, always be learning, uh, but if someone's giving you feedback, that feedback is a gift, and even though feedback is often very difficult to take, and you, know, you go back to those, those 10,000 years, taking feedback uh, and that what you're putting out could be wrong, you know, go back uh, all of that, those years, it could have been life-threatening if, if you're wrong, not so much anymore, mm. and feedback, uh, and being open to the feedback, being open to other people's points of view, is uh, is how we grow. And mm. uh, you know, so, really, that would be my message to myself. I, I, I go back, you know, all of all of those years back to my twenty-year-old self. It's <laughs> great. Thanks. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Shane. Cool. I could talk to you for hours more. Um, you know, I'm really I've been impressed by your journey. I love I love the story, and I really relate to storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, there's actually a company, I, a company called Anecdote, who I, who trained us. Uh, they're based out of Australia, who do um, online storytelling I courses. Know them, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and you know, I, I think you, you're a really inspiring leader. You, you've created, you. you know, an amazing um, business in New Zealand, and hopefully, 
your children and your children's children will ca carry on the uh, yeah. you know Italian yeah. shoe jeans yeah. uh, throughout New Zealand. But uh, yeah, it's, and it's been lovely to talk to you, and uh, I really appreciate it. So thank been, you very much. It's been a real pleasure, Jerry. No, nice, nice to catch up again. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks.